you do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. One of the CIA agents under suspicion was a counterintelligence specialist named William Harvey. Could you uh, tell this committee uh, uh, who the individuals were involving mafia chieftains or organized crime figures? As far as I'm aware, in that, on that particular situation, it was uh, William K. Harvey who was in touch with John Roselli. And it was Harvey and Roselli who were attempting to find, if I understood it correctly, some channel from uh, Florida into Havana. This is a very dangerous and uncertain world. No one expects uh, that uh, our life will be easy. Certainly not in this decade, and perhaps not in this century. The ROKC, Reopen the Kennedy Case, proudly presents the first ever Australian JFK conference in Melbourne, Australia, this November. Join us on a quest for justice and truth with inspirational speakers and some of the world's leading authorities on the Kennedy assassination. Featured guest speakers include Citizens for Truth about the Kennedy assassination speaker and acclaimed author James DiEugenio, Gail Nix Jackson, author and granddaughter of Orville Nix, and Australia's very own Peter Morris. For more info, buy your tickets at stickytickets.com slash reopen Kennedy case conference because justice is never too late. experience with the ones that were handling it at the time of the missile crisis. They were going to send 60 people into Cuba right during the missile crisis. Nobody knew what they were doing. They never explained. I just heard about it because one of the fellows who was going to go wrote me or got in touch with me and said, we don't mind going, but we want to make sure we're going because you think it's worthwhile. And I checked into it. Nobody knew about it. And then the CIA didn't, the top officials didn't, and I we pinned it down to the fellow who was supposed to, he was supposed to be in charge, and he said we planned it because the military wanted it done, and I asked the military, and they never heard of it. Oh, my God. 
this is the same fellow who did put the tunnel on the Berlin, and so he was, you remember that the tunnel in 1948? They, oh, they yeah. constructed a tunnel under and yeah. built it up into the intelligence office of the, yeah. which was a hell of a project. Yeah. But he did that better than he did this. <laughs> of course, I was furious, because I said, you're dealing with people's lives and the best of the Cubans, and they're the ones that volunteer, and then you're going to go off with a half-ass operation such as this. We had a meeting at the Pentagon on I never saw her. I've never seen him since. What's up, everybody, and welcome to the Lone Gummin Podcast. This is episode number 78. Today, I have a special returning guest, proprietor of the Neapolis Media Group, author, and all-around great friend of mine, Mr. Carmine Savastano, comes back to the show. How you doing, Carmine? Good. How you doing, Rob? Nice to see you, my friend. Oh, nice to talk to you. I can't see you, though. Well, I'll talk to you. <laughs> Oh yeah. Okay. Um, hey man, today I thought we'd kick it off. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about foreknowledge of the assassination, but before we do that, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the Neapolis media group because people hear me talk about it. They always ask, what the hell is this? What is that? Well, let's tell the people what Neapolis media group is about and then what we're trying to do here a little bit, Carmine. wants to contribute to the body of work that has gone along with not just uh, conspiracy, but uh, historical inquiries, you know, uh, intelligence. And basically what we're trying to do is through public donations and through the sale of specialty works, like uh, when we're going to put out uh, special uh, episodes or special podcasts uh, from time to time, or uh, I'm going to be releasing a book later this year. Where, you know, those, through those works and through donations, we're hoping that we can provide the public with more free educational material and, you know, just material for discussion and entertainment. You know, we have, you know, we try to cover a, a range of different things that not all media does cover, where, as where most media is concerned with uh, just modern things, we report on modern uh, examples. If you go to uh, tpoc.com or you go to emg, neamg.com, uh, that's where our site is. Uh, we're going to be doing a, a launch later this, uh, later next month. And we're, what we're trying to do is basically provide as much free content and as much uh, educational content as we can, not only just to help our own research, but to help others too, sort of to collaborate with the community as much as we can. Right. So, so as much as it's, you know, for us, or by us, it's for us as well, and for for everybody else out there um, to check out and uh, expand your knowledge base a little bit. Uh, you know, when it comes to not not just the assassination of JFK, but uh, historical based things, intelligence based things, and uh, like the MLK, RFK assassination as well. And of course, there's my, there'll be my show, Chuck's show, um, your book, uh, your research, and uh, your resources. Yeah, we have, we have- Best of the Ocelli Effect, the best of the Lone Gunman podcast, uh, the best of research articles, and we even have recommended resources too. So if you want to continue beyond just uh, all the content that we offer, you can go to other places like the Mary Farrell Foundation, the National Archives, and other places. We basically want to try to help provide a path for the layman to be able to begin their research with some sort of foundation, and they can look to other credible groups 
that want to help them. You know, on occasion, you know, they might like to join the Mary Farrell Foundation, or you, you might have to make a donation, but it's well worth it. You know, if you if you want to really learn things and you want to see the actual evidence in front of you, you know, it's, it's helping. Hopefully, us and other groups like us will will help expand the public knowledge. Right, right, and. Yeah, I think that's great. And like you said, uh, you mentioned the one thing that is, is coming up, people. Uh, we're going to be doing a lot of special uh, events, special shows uh, for you guys. And uh, this is this kind of stuff you're not going to want to miss. So keep an eye out for, for big, big news coming from Neapolis Media Group towards the end of the month, right? Gotcha, gotcha. And, of course, you can get there from tlgpodcast.com. There is a special hot button link right there. Or actually, no, it's a tab now on my website. I forgot I changed my layout a little bit. So, Yeah, so everybody can get there. Just click it, and it will take you right to the Neapolis Media Group website. All right, Carmine, today we're going to be talking about people that had a little bit of foreknowledge uh, of the assassination and I know a lot of people out there have heard, of course, you know, all the the uh, commonplace ones, you know, like Rose Sheremy, who claimed to have uh, foreknowledge. Uh, I think she told, and told, told a doctor and a, and a cop um, beforehand. Uh, we have people like uh, Private Dinkin, who was overseas, that, that uh, saw some information come through a cable uh, pertaining to the assassination. Um we have uh, John Martino out of the uh, Jam Wave station down there in Cuba, or I'm Florida. I'm sorry. Who, uh, of course, he was CIA, and uh, he told his wife, uh, you know, what was going to happen that day. Um, and Joseph Miltier, and he's the one that kind of interests me the most, only because of his connections. And when we're talking about his connections, we're talking the extreme right-winger, KKK, National States Rights Party, John Birch Society, um, which, uh, I mean, uh, that tells you a hell of a lot right there, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, violent, racist, fringe groups. Right. You know, and, and the more I look at this stuff, you know, I see them rising rising among the... the uh, possible players in this whole thing as being uh, kind of uh, at least at least maybe in, in part planning everything and uh, kind of being behind it. Of course, there's other a lot of other influences that goes that gets wrapped up into there. You know, you talk about CIA, Mafia, all that stuff. Um, but let's get into a little bit about some people people might not really know about. Um, I guess we can touch on... Uh, ZR rifle first, if, if you want to. Okay. Yeah, this uh, pertains to. Uh, I, I tried to pick five people that, yeah, not everybody always discusses. And, uh, you know, we're not saying that they necessarily had to be involved. We're not saying that you know, they had foreknowledge for sure. It's just they had the possibility of having foreknowledge based on the activities and the events they were involved in. Right. It, it, it is not outside of the realm of possibility in my mind that the following five people will and the programs that they're involved in should have given them at least some inkling of what was to happen. Right. You know, if, so the first one is William Harvey. William Harvey was a CIA officer. He was uh, 
long time serving, and he was involved in uh, the CR. He wrote up the CR rifle plots, and they were basically part of the later Castro plots. Uh, the Castro plots are basically divided into two separate sections, uh, phase one and phase two. During phase one, it was they attempted to use the mafia, and uh, they wanted to, originally Sheffield Edwards wanted a gangland-style assassination. Now, what a lot of people don't realize is Edwards wasn't the first person to think of it. Another person we're going to talk about later, J.C. King, was involved in the original conversation with Edwards about it. But Edwards went to the Mafia and said they wanted a gangland-style shooting. The Mafia said that nobody could escape from that, so nobody would take the job. So then they tried to pursue poison. Of, you know, an array of other things didn't work out. So phase two comes, and Harvey militarizes the Castro plots. He then uh, talks about setting up, you know, shooting teams and assassinating Castro violently. So, the, uh, where the, the, um, a precursor, though, to the CR rifle, before Harvey had even thought about it, do you care if I touch on this real quick and then go to the CR rifle? No, go ahead. Uh, was the, the assassination guide. And that was 1954, I believe, and it was basically a guide how to kill people. <laughs> right. How to, how to remove heads of state. And people, uh, in one part it says, murder is not morally justifiable. Self-defense may be argued for the victim as knowledge, which may destroy the resistance organization if divulged. Assassination of persons responsible for atrocities or reprisals may be regarded as punishment. Killing a political leader whose burgeoning career is clear and present danger because of freedom may be held necessary. And it's easy to see how that can get twisted. Right. Because based on the person's politics... Anyone theoretically could be killed as yeah. a threat to what they consider freedom. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's kind of a, you know, anybody that could have access to this assassination manual, I mean, could easily turn it on whoever the hell they wanted to. You know, it's just a, yep. it's basically just a good guide for covert activity. Yeah, it's like a you know a hand, what is a handbook for assassination? You know, a how-to guide. Yeah, we don't know how many people saw it. You know, I mean, if it, it, I would think it at least went through the hands of most of the officers or the upper echelon people. Oh yeah, I mean nowadays it'd probably be yellow and black, and it would say assassination for dummies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, it's the CIA assassination guide for dummies. And, yeah. I mean, they go into everything. Drugs, like you can inject somebody with a small amount of alcohol after you poison them to make it look like alcohol poisoning if they're an alcoholic. Oh yeah. So yeah, there's all all manner of oh, faking accidents. You know, you can throw them in a quick moving river and, and then jump in and act like you were trying to save them, and then, then you make sure they die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hold them down. Yeah, pretty much. So so yeah, I think that is the. That, 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 that's what sets up the mindset in the CIA in 54. So we've got nine years before Kennedy getting killed that somebody's come up with how, the how-to guide. And it does 
to make sure three solid shots with handguns. You want to make sure that it's a certain amount of distance depending on the rifle that you're using. And it follows, especially uh, the part on when you want to discredit the Patsy, it follows <laughs> with Oswald that, you know, the one person cannot possibly stand up to the weight of the government. Right. Yeah, and you know, it's one long guy saying he's innocent. And if you, yeah, if you look back to the known assassinations, you know, like like Lumumba and uh, DM and stuff, it, it does follow this guy pretty damn closely. You know, I mean, at least. Oh yeah. You know. Yeah, all the ones that have possible CIA involvement, yeah, they do follow this guy, and yeah, it's usually the if you look at the most assassins were usually crazed. You know, the ones that they want to paint as crazy used handguns, and they got up close. It was a personal matter. When you're killing somebody from a distance, it's not a personal thing, usually. It's tactical. You don't want to get caught. Yeah, it's a job. Yeah. A la Searhan, Searhan, wanting to get up close and personal. Exactly. Even though, you know, wrong direction, but that's not the story. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, and that's a good point to make, you know, too. Like, you know, if you're trying to get away with murder... You're not gonna get, you know. You're not gonna be standing on the street when he goes by and bust a cap in his head, because you're not gonna get away, you know. But trying to, uh, you know, hit him from uh, a, a good distance, you know, I can see that working. And they, I think they even talked about like triangulation of gunfire in that manual, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, they talk about all sorts of possibilities that you might encounter that you have to be ready for. Well, I think, when, I don't know if they said triangulation of gunfire specifically, but they did talk about a military-style plan needs to be enacted, which would include them. Right. So, yeah, you know, I mean, anybody that had any military knowledge, and when you look at some of the people who were involved in creating the Castro plots, a bunch of them were military. Sheffield Edwards was a colonel, J.C. King was a colonel. So this is the agency in the military basically later on enacting some of the things from this against Castro. Right. Only they couldn't ever get Castro. Oh, yeah. Well, Fidel is a hard man to kill. <laughs> you know? I mean, lots of people tried. You know, the agency tried. The, uh, our military tried. Mansfur tried. Uh, Amlash tried. There were tons of people who tried. He was just... It was a mixture of luck, I guess, and wits that kept him alive. Yeah, he's the original Teflon Don. Yeah. So, uh, but I want to go into what you want to talk about. But with CR Rifle, so I think we've basically set it up with uh, the assassination guide. With CR Rifle, they were, one of the many uh, ideas was to hire assassins and use criminals so that they could be easily either, I would imagine, gotten rid of or discredited after the operation. Right. And that's where you see stuff like uh, Mankell and uh, people like Weirote showing up around Lumumba's assassination. Not necessarily that they did it themselves, but they could have been involved and they were in the area and they were basically sent there as a possibility to kill Lumumba. You know, it's that coincidence that they just happened to be in the area when he died. Right. So, yeah, CR Rifle, um, Harvey sets it up, and it gets re-extended via Helms through 63. So, not to say that there's any necessary connection, but Harvey is setting up an assassination program that's ongoing in 1963. 
themselves to murder the Cuban head of state. So it doesn't take a very large intellect to realize, like you said earlier, you know, anyone could have thought they just turned the guns. It can easily be turned back on us. Right. Yeah, if they got in the wrong hands, most definitely. And just a quick aside, and I don't know if uh, if you know anything about it, Carmine, is I thought I remember reading somewhere about some some CIA operatives or assassins or something in Africa dropping the name Lee Harvey Oswald. Uh, oh, wow, no, I hadn't heard of that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty sure it was while he was in Russia, and... I shouldn't. Even, I mean, I shouldn't speak on it when I, I can't remember all the facts right now. But I, I thought I remember reading that somewhere. I mean, if, if anybody out there knows anything about that, uh, maybe some CIA operatives or uh, assassins getting getting uh, arrested in Africa and, and them using the name Lee Harvey Oswald, let me know. Sorry, go ahead. I mean, I just that just oh, jumped no, out of me. We're talking about Lumumba. No, surprised me. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't be the first time. the security testimony in the House Select Committee, uh, John Skelso, which is uh, the pseudonym for John Witten, who was a CIA officer, he goes in depth, too, talking about Harvey and what a mistake he thinks it was that Helms okayed Harvey to be able to undertake these operations. He said because Harvey could keep a secret, and Harvey, you know, Harvey had no compunctions about not only murdering people. Right. <laughs> yeah. It was part of his job. Yeah, I mean, by all accounts, this guy was a straight-up wild, uh, loose cannon. I mean, when it comes to getting things done, I mean, this was your guy. But, you know, of course, he was he was a drunk. and uh, Yeah, he ended up getting drummed out for being a drunk. Yeah. The CIA. So, yeah, he had some issues. Which And he also, he you know, he had associations with Johnny Roselli even after they told him to stop associating with, you know, the mafia uh, hitman. Oh yeah, and still running uh, uh, plots against Castro. Well, into you know, even after the assassination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. So that's, I mean, that, yeah, that right there, I think, you know, should anyone involved in the Castro plots who was of any intelligence should have been able to realize. You know, I, I'm sure some of them did, but nobody ever spoke about it. You notice that no one ever stepped up during the Warren Commission. This stuff didn't come out basically until the Church Commission and then the HSCA. Yeah, and Bobby Kennedy didn't say anything about it either. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, you're right. And he knew. Oh, he knew. You know, I, well, I think that, that with him, it, was, might, it may be even a factor of guilt. That yeah. He, you know, he maybe he felt foolish that he should have realized that it had gone too far, and maybe that might have had something to do with it. Yeah, especially but, if, you know, these anti-Castro guys were involved in, in the assassination. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you can understand that. Alan Dulles, Richard Bissell, J.C. King, 
who was uh, the head of the Western Hemisphere Division of the CIA, Sheffield Edwards, another CIA officer, uh, William Harvey, James P. O'Connell, who was the director of security and had a connection to Robert Mayhew, and originally got Mayhew his job in the CIA, and Robert A. Mayhew, who was the guy they used as the pitch man to uh, the mafia and Roselli, and then Mayhew's attorneys, Edward P. Morgan and Edward Bennett Williams, who he informed. Now, interestingly, among these people, almost half of them were former FBI before they became CIA. McConnell, Mayhew, Harvey were all former FBI. Right. So you've got conflicting loyalties, in my opinion, and I would imagine that the information could have gone out both channels. I have no doubt that Harvey, because Harvey, in some of the documents I've seen, was still talking to the CIA liaison who from the FBI, uh, um, Sam Papich. So Harvey was providing information to Papich, who was providing it to Hoover. Speaking of Hoover. <laughs> yeah, another person on the list. <laughs> okay, uh, yeah, no, Hoover, I think, has, well, you've got all those people. And I'll go back to, to King and, uh, but Hoover, yeah, Hoover is the man, in my opinion, that perhaps knows the most about everything because he gets to see information from his liaisons to other organizations and he has the longest standing spy network of all of them. Right. Cause I mean, by, by this time, you know, the FBI is like this elite, whoa. In, in his eyes, is, is this elite, you know, investigative force, you know, not to be messed with. They always got their man, you know, they were mythical status, you know, by the time you get to the Kennedy assassination, they've already been, you know, established in the United States for 30, 40 years at, to this, at this point. And, uh, you know, Hoover prided himself on whether hook or crook, always getting their man, you know what I mean? So. Well, yeah. Largely, most of the time, by crook, yeah. because they would violate the law left and right if they thought that it would get them the man. Yeah, frame people, uh, fabricate evidence. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Planting evidence, surveillance, illegal surveillance. You know, taping people, intimidation. Hoover, Hoover. With Hoover, the ends totally justified the means. Yep, you got that right. And you know, from his view. Like, I can't remember, uh, there was a quote I heard from him once that totally defines him, and it was, uh, justice is merely incidental to law and order. <laughs> Which is ridiculous, because <laughs> without justice, law and order has no purpose. <laughs> That's the entire purpose of law and order, is to attain justice. Right. Now, now tell us a little bit about um, what the FBI knew, specifically when it comes to Lee Harvey Oswald in the, in the years, months leading up to the assassination? Well, well, we know for sure that the FBI, since 59, was following Oswald's story. You know, they followed him over to when he attempted his defection and attempted to res renounce his citizenship. You know, so they, they had a line on him all the way there. They found him when he came back with Morena. They, and not only were they looking at him, but the CIA was the entire time, too. The CIA did the HT lingual operation where they were checking Oswald's mail and his family's mail, Robert and Marguerite 
and you know, leading up until the assassination, you've got them with having almost the FBI anyway, having almost every manner of witness they possibly could through Hostie and through CAC and some of the other agents that had been interviewing Oswald and doing the Marine Oswald security case. And then you've got the CIA uh, afterwards, Cassason talking about how Oswald was considered, not that they ever used him, but that he was considered for use and that he was troubling because Marina was in the style of about a dozen cases where they noticed Russian women moving back with American men to potentially spy back in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, and there was also a document, I think, floating around. It was a 61 when Oswald was in Russia that there was allegations of uh, from his mother that somebody was using his passport or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. Right, because I mean, there's a there's a ton of of reports of uh, you know Oswald's name either being used or his identity being used while he's supposed to be in Russia. You know, I think oh, yeah. there was a there was a pretty pretty big one uh, attached to like the purchase of some uh, some jeeps that were trying to be sent to Cuba or something, and they were using his name. assassination when, you know, all these supposed Oswald sightings occurred and not a single one could ever be verified. Right. You know, of him doing crazy things at the car dealership or yelling at people or shooting off a gun. Yeah, I tell you what, I'd really like to know what that note that Oswald gave the host he said, what it really said. Well, we got the two versions, yeah. I mean, I, I would imagine that if it, to destroy it, it would have to be closer to the Nanny Lee Fenner version, the secretary version. Than to what Hostie said, because Hostie's note was nice. There's no reason to destroy that note. Right, but I, I can't see him sending a note saying he's going to blow up the FBI building or some. You know, you know. Well, you know, that's true. The only the only way I could see that, uh, you know, I, you know, and I, who's to say it wasn't either or? You know what I mean? It maybe it wasn't what they both said. It was something a third, you know, something else. But the, the the only reason I could see Oswald sending an envelope to the FBI note is to get arrested. Kind of so like a kind of like a rich, rich, Richard Case Nagel type thing. Yeah, yeah, maybe something like that. You know, just to sort of blow everything and get himself arrested. And that's another guy uh, who knew about Oswald and the assassination beforehand. If you know, if you believe his story, which is 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 a very as you know, I'm not a big believer in Nagel. <laughs> Right, but I mean, it's just interesting what he did and when he did it, and oh, yeah. and why he's you know why he did it. Um, you know, I I don't know about all that stuff about you know him traveling to Mexico with Oswald and meeting him there and and or you know supposedly having a contract on him or, or something to that effect. But who knows about all that? But it's just interesting that he would purposely get arrested, you know, so he would be in jail. It, during this time, yeah. No, no, it is. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of a lot of loose strings in the case that are worthy of note that you know might have some relevance. It's just you know, as you know, it's the hardest thing sometimes just separating them because there's just so much information. Yeah, and no solid, rock solid proof. I mean, I think I was reading, uh, you know, Dick Russell's book, and I think he had been promised. That, that Nagel had some kind of uh, proof 
that he was trying to get to him, but uh, died before that ever happened, or it never happened, or something to that effect. So who knows, you know. Just an interesting, you know, footnote in history there. But, uh, you know, a guy who claimed to know beforehand about the assassination, um, whether he did or not, who knows, but it's just interesting what he did and when he did it. And this is a most uh, egregious form of dropping the freaking ball that I've ever heard of oh, yeah. in my life. Yeah. Or did they do it on purpose? Or he's covering his ass, perhaps. Yeah. Or was was he told to you know stop stop all surveillance on this guy? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Which which did happen. Uh, right. Not not with Oswald that I that I've seen in the documents, but it happened with. Johnny Roselli, because uh, the FBI started to monitor William Harvey, and they caught him with Johnny Roselli, and the CIA made a request, and Pappage had it canceled, so they didn't monitor Roselli after that, so that they weren't catching the CIA with the mafia. Yeah. Yeah, because Hoover, uh, Hoover never really acknowledged the mafia even existed. I mean, that's a, that's a whole other conversation, you know, but... Uh, you know, one that you can't ignore. I mean, maybe through the back channels, letting Bobby Kennedy know what was going on and letting them worry about it and take care of it. Cause I'm sure if you believe everything that's been said over the years, you know, that, that uh, maybe the mafia had a little something on, uh, J. Edgar Hoover. Well, they, they say that, I mean, with me though, I, I would think that it's something, I just don't think it's anything as spectacular. Some people have claimed, I don't think that, you know, the, it's possible, but I don't think that, you know, a lot of people try to say that it's pictures of him and Clyde Tolson. But in this age of information, it would really surprise me that no one had ever seen them, you know, that they can prove it anyway, that no one has an existing copy. I would imagine that it would probably be something more more mundane, like, you know, they, they could prove that Hoover knew of their operation. So if they outed him, if, if he outed them, they would out him knowing. Right. Because the, the mafia had helped at certain points in history with investigations. Yeah, I know uh, Gordon Novell has said he's seen them, that uh, Angleton has seen them. Uh, there's a couple of mafia guys that said that they've seen them. Uh, you know, where J. Edgar Hoover is eating Clyde Tolson's hot dog, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, I, I've heard of them, but, you know, no one ever produces them. They say they've seen them, but, you know, they... These are also the same guys that lie as a professional, you know, as a professional duty. Right. I mean, even... So, keeping everybody hunting for these pictures might keep them away from the real evidence. Well, they might have even known that, you know, these two guys were gay and, and had probably done that. 
and uh, yeah, they might have never even had photographs of them, but maybe Hoover thought they might could have possibly had them. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah, they could have made them up, or he thought they might have faked them. You know, I mean, there could have been all sorts of things that, and I think it was to his benefit too, not to reveal the mafia, because if he could keep everything on disconnected, you know, gangland types, uh, like the, what was the Hotel Del, R- Del Rancho, I believe it was called, where Clint Murchison's place that Hoover used to stay out west for free, and it was like a luxury hotel, and he stayed there even after it was taken over by the mafia after Murchison sold it. Oh, the Del Charo, yeah. Yeah, the, I'm sorry, the Del Charo, yeah, the Del Charo. Yeah, and then uh, the racetrack, too, the Del Mar racetrack. That was one of their favorite little getaways, and he loved gambling there, and they made sure he won. So, Strange bedfellows. Exactly. I think it was, uh, you know, at, at best, it was just him maintaining, you know, his his reputation as able lawman and that knows, you know, he would never say that the mafia existed because it was small gangs, which he could keep under management or at worst, he was complicit in some of it, you know, that he just ignored them because it would have, he got along better with them operating. Well, yeah, I mean, it would have been, you know, if he would have outed them and, and started going after him, he might've realized that maybe it was a, a bigger task. And he initially realized that he maybe couldn't win that war. You know what I mean? I mean, it's it's a it's a big task to go up against organized crime in this country because it's it's everywhere. I mean, it's not just it's not just three guys in New York sitting on their ass, you know, running everything. It's it's you know nationwide. And, and then you've got you know all sorts of people that are connected to them in the infrastructure of the government. So you've got to worry about every compromised person that could be in your organization, every compromised person in the Justice Department. Oh, yeah. Every congressman in their pocket, you know. Yeah, and you're talking so, yeah, about... Yeah, no, I, I, he might have... And I'm sure after what happened with President Kennedy, if Hoover believed that the mafia was responsible, that might have also uh, changed his ideas. Yeah. Yep, I mean it's 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 hard to to tie them into things, you know. But you can't look, you can't overlook like uh, you know a bunch of them dying. It, you know, when it comes to the HSC uh, HSCA investigation, I mean that always jumped out at me. You know, you got uh, who's the Chicago Sam Giancana, you know, yeah. uh, Roselli, yeah, you got, Giancana, Kane, Roselli. You got all these guys dying. Right? Either, either right before they're getting ready to testify or right after they testify because they might have said something they shouldn't have said. But, yeah, it's yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I definitely agree with that. I'm, I've always been for a small amount of witnesses that, you know, with the evidence we can show, it's pretty suspicious that they died. Yeah, but, unfortunately, the ones that are wholly feasible get lost when you get people that try to make these huge, huge lists, you know, of... Endless people that were killed, which are peripheral and have no real basis. But yeah, it's definitely worth noting that Giancana, Roselli, Kane, you know, even DeMorenschild, who some people, even if it was a suicide, the timing of it is highly suspicious. Why he chose that exact moment while he was writing a book, while he had other things going on, to kill himself, you know, when he was supposed to be meeting with an HSCA investigator, is suspicious. Yep. Big time. Which, of course, lends credence to, you know, 
maybe these guys knew a little bit more about things than they should have known. But yeah. We'll never know. <laughs> so, yeah, with Hoover, uh, you know, like I said, the security flash and that, that he knew that all these things were going on. You know, you had the guys in the Castro plots that we talked about earlier, but Hoover himself had, I think, a better lay of the field, seeing everything, than anyone at the CIA or anyone in the U.S. government at the time did. Yeah, and I mean, bottom line is the FBI should have been watching Oswald's every freaking move, especially when the president comes to town. I mean, yeah. you got you to... Gotta, uh, uh, you know, a treasonous Russian defector bringing back a Russian wife. And, uh, yeah, they should have been watching him. You know, they should have been. And I don't know if it's by design yeah. that they weren't or that they just dropped the ball. But either way, you know, they got to end up covering their ass or, and, or helping, you know, to frame this guy. in a lot of cases for officials than just a matter of suppression to save themselves. Yeah. You know, they didn't want... Hoover had a lot of illegal operations going on that he didn't want revealed by a big investigation, which is why, for whatever reason, the commission let him and John McCone at the CIA skate on just a pro forma denial affidavit, which was full of lies. You know, he said, Jack Ruby had no association with the FBI. That's not true. Jack Ruby was, you know, not a very useful one, but he was for a time an informant, a criminal informant, and he never produced anything of use, but he did have an association. Hoover said he didn't because he was so scared of being linked to the assassination in any way. Yep. Yep, and I think that, that was the ultimate motivation for the FBI, the CIA, uh, the Dallas Police Department. I mean, all these people, because... You know, you hear, you hear these tales that, you know, all this supposed evidence linking Oswald or, you know, tying with ties to Oswald was sent that night to the FBI. And then the FBI sent it back on uh, was it Sunday or Monday so they can make a big production out of sending all the evidence to the FBI. But it, it had actually already been sent once. And when they sent it back, there was like. I don't know, a couple hundred other items that they weren't originally sent, you know, to, to, to kind of tie this guy into things. So, and of course they magically find fingerprints, uh, you know, when the Dallas police didn't, didn't find any. No, or the FBI didn't find any, and the Dallas police did somehow, which is kind of counterintuitive because they seem like you'd imagine the FBI would be the ones to find them. Yeah, unless the FBI was the one that put them on there, so. Yeah, that's the whole problem with a lot of the exhibits in the commission, that, you know, people who think that the commission is such a solid investigative body, the chain of evidence was destroyed in yeah. so many exhibits. You know, there was no link. They, you know, our, our, our friend, another guy at uh, Neapolis Media Group, Chuck Ocelli, has interviewed, I believe it's upwards of 50 of the officers or about 50 of the officers and they were talking about how people you know would sign things for each other some people weren't even there that were listed on the reports as being there the guy who filed the report might not even be on the report if he was a rookie he just got stuck with it right so yeah we don't even know who was there I mean they don't even the government never even produced a list of the people in Dealey Plaza we don't even know who was at the location when it happened that's how bad this investigation was 
Yeah, and you mentioned that you know the chain of evidence or chain of custody for the so-called evidence, and there's problems with it at every turn. I mean, you know, I just talked to Barry Krush a couple weeks ago, you know, about the shells, and that's a big problem there. I mean, I think if Oswald would have had a good lawyer that uh, really dug, he would have, yeah, that dug into this shit. I mean, they could have got him off quickly. Exactly. I mean, that's that's one of the big problems with with you know with the lone nut theory is his motivation, his his motive for wanting to assassinate Kennedy. I mean, by all accounts, there's no proof he was ever a violent man. There was no, there's no proof he was a loner uh, or a loser or you know any of that. I mean, I think you know when he came back from Russia, you know I think he was watched you know very very heavily. You know if. If the FBI was following this guy and, you know, when he was, say, put in an application for a job, okay, well, as soon as he leaves, an hour later, the FBI shows up and says, hey, uh, you know, that guy you're just talking to, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, he defected to Russia and this and that. And, you know, he probably had trouble finding a job. I mean, it would have been very easy to orchestrate this guy into being a loner or not a loner, but, you know, being frustrated that he, that he couldn't ever get ahead in America, you know? turn i mean even even with information uh beforehand that this assassination was going to take place um i mean even looking back at the military stuff for a minute i mean this was the information garnered from military was gotten by an fbi agent okay who was likely you know feeding the information on up the on up the ladder uh you know, and it yeah, was Somerset, I think, gave it to somebody else, and then eventually got to that man. Yeah, and I mean, they did nothing with it. You know, I mean, 
you would think if if, if you know there's a there's a good threat of the president being assassinated that they would up the security a little bit and uh, you know we don't even have the 112th military in Dallas that day so yeah you know and then you can go back to you know the talk about the, the evidence that supports the Chicago possible plot you know with Abraham Bolden and others right. so this wasn't you know I mean people were even warning Kennedy to not go to Dallas at least Stevenson told Kennedy not to go to Dallas after he had been spit on right uh, yeah I mean this is the this is the hotbed of hate back then. I mean, you know, with all these extreme right-wing groups being based right there in Dallas and General Walker being in Dallas and, you know, John Bircher's in Dallas, Minutemen and uh, National States Rights Party guys and white supremacists, and they did, they did not like Kennedy at all. <laughs> I mean, not even a little bit. And then if uh, I was going to, if you want to go to the next person but uh, on that note where you're saying people who weren't big fans uh, I would imagine that two people that or one person wasn't a big fan was who I mentioned earlier Colonel J.C. King John Caldwell King he was one of the people involved in the Castro plots in my opinion perhaps you know one of the the creator or among those who created the idea initially, because it was his conversations with Sheffield Edwards, and I assume later with Dulles, that got things going as far as a gangster-style slaying. And though the mafia turned it down, you know, they, they didn't go with a gangster. I think, honestly, the reason why they wanted to use the mafia in any case was so that they could blame them later. Yep. That's why they wanted a gangster-style slaying, so that they could say, well, it was the mafia. Yeah. Which is ironic that that seems to be the case a lot of times where some people think that it was the Mafia that killed President Kennedy. Yeah, the Mafia don't generally snipe people. I mean... Exactly. Yeah, gangster-type slaying, you would have seen, yeah, it would have done, you know, St. Valentine's Day Massacre. They show up, they waste a bunch of people. Yeah, they get you leaving a bar in a dark alley and blast you right there or come to your house like <laughs> Sam Giancana and... Nice, exactly. Shoot you in the mouth four times. Yeah. Message. Yep. Don't talk. <laughs> so, yeah. So, I think it was the reason why King, you know, not only is King's placement high in the CIA important, but he's also involved in other levels of... And one of the interesting things about King, I think, beyond that his knowledge of the Castro plots and that he should have been able to reasonably associate that this could mean there would be, you know, backlash and blowback on our officials possibly be facing assassination from Castro or others. Um, you know, he... King, King also, in some of the comments by uh, uh, John Witten, he talks about how King was associated with different uh, rebel leaders in South America that were just killing people left and right, and King was all for it. He was down there while they were doing their operations.
Yeah, that'd probably piss him off a little bit. Yeah. You know, I mean, basically using everybody in his division without his consent. Right. To do whatever they wanted, and they didn't have to report to him or ask him for anything. They just took it. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, so, I mean, he's an interesting character that has involved with lots of questionable people in his tenure. Oh, another interesting thing about King is... I believe, and this is from, uh, you know, research that has had already been done uh, where they show there's a, there was a communication between him and Winston Scott, the head of Mexico City Station, and Scott says, I believe this is referring to a, a person that is known to you, and he's referring to the Mexico City Mystery Man. Oh, really? Yeah. So King knew who that was. We should know who that was. I would imagine people in the CIA do know who it was. But, you know, that, that was never told to the Warren Commission. They never cleared that up for them. Right. So I, I think that largely, you know, there's definitely the, the nefarious element, but there's just so many plots on top of plots. And there were so many agendas of people trying to protect themselves from being connected to the assassination and, you know, access the grind. But yeah, there, there was, it's, it's kind of stunning how many, you know, we only cover five in our conversations today, but dozens of people, you know, who were fairly intelligent in their jobs should have been able to realize this was a possibility that, you know, like you said with Oswald, the FBI should have been on him. If he was the security threat that they were making out since 59, they shouldn't have stopped just before this assassination. No, it makes no sense whatsoever. Especially after Mexico City, you know? Yeah. Or they should have at least renewed the flash. Yeah. But, you know, and, and that's what makes me think that the people who assert that Oswald was used by... Personally, as you know, I'm, I'm all for a compartmentalized plot. That makes the most sense to me. It has to be smaller. It can't be, you know, a whole agency or a whole group. Right. You know, it's a smaller group of people with the right training, someone who knows about the assassination guide or knows about military assassinations. And they orchestrated, you know, this little assassination, and it just got, it might have gotten wiped away in all the other house cleaning that, that all these agencies were doing to try to save themselves from being connected to the assassination. You know, Oswald could have been being used as, you know, many credible researchers have offered as a dangle or, you know, as a distraction for another operation, and it just so happened it benefited the conspirators to use him as the fall guy for the assassination. Yeah, I mean, because the way, the way I see it, you need funders, you need planners, you need mechanics, and you need a patsy. <laughs> and, yeah, that's basically all you need. And, but, you know... Not necessarily did they all need to come from the same place. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the, the funders could be mafia, could be oil men, could be uh, black budgets. Um, it could be any of those the things. Exiles, yeah, the exiles had access to all sorts of untraceable money from various illegal sources. Yeah, and planners could be, you know, CIA, military intelligence, former military. former military or former CIA just because they have the knowledge and they don't have the loyalty anymore to the organization. Right. And mechanics, you know, you need you need cold-blooded killers that you can count on 
to get the job done and keep their mouth shut. So, who most likely, in my opinion, would have been killed about a year or less later. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there, there's one in particular, or, or two guys, I think might have been mechanics, and I, you know, they didn't, they didn't, they didn't actually kill them, but. Possibly uh, tried to discredit them on down the line, uh, you know. But these are guys with plausible deniability that could be tied back to a whole assortment of places. You know, they could have been anti-Castro Cubans. They could have been uh, former military, former intelligence. You know, any number of things. And you know, none of these agencies would have wanted to touch these guys. You know, after this happened, and uh, or. You know, they would have had to cover that up as well. And then, of course, you know, the Patsy. And, and like I said, none of these hands would have needed to actually know what the other one was doing. Like I said, compartmentalized as, as hell. But uh, I think that's probably, you know, the best the best scenario there. Yeah, no, I just, I, I think it, it seems to, you know, it seems to stand up and it seems to mirror some of the actions that we can, with the evidence, see that we're taking. You know, that things were wiped away so quickly that these are definitely people in the know. They definitely knew at least, you know, the basics of an assassination operation. Right. And they had training, you know, they, they you know, and then you got to get into all the other, so actually here, I'll, yeah, so I think the thing, the most interesting thing about King was that, that he knew who the Mexico City man was. And they never revealed that. And then you've got, uh, I'll just quickly go over Dulles. You know, who was the head of the CIA, who knew about the Castro plots, but later denied and lied about them and said he never knew and didn't know that they existed. <laughs> right. You know, and he's doing that. He didn't tell the Warren Commission. He suppressed all that. I mean, he suppressed that to the other members of the commission that the CIA had crafted assassination plots to remove a world leader and what that meant to the Kennedy assassination. Right. Yeah, I mean it's just it's just insanity that uh, that he's on the damn Warren Commission at the recommendation of Bobby Kennedy, you know. Exactly. So there I you go. I have a feeling that Katzenbach talked about that. Probably so. I mean, but you got to remember, Bobby Kennedy. You know, he 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 had an office at the CIA as well, and just just because. Jack maybe didn't see the benefit of, of of having a CIA that Bobby did. You know what I mean? Like, I think Jack wanted to make more more military intelligence kind of operation instead of a civilian. Uh, you know, you know what I'm saying. Uh, but you know, maybe maybe Bobby saw a benefit to having you know the civilian agency that that. Uh, well, an agency, you know, they work for people, they do jobs, so... Yeah, 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 clandestine, just to have, you know, civil servants that have loyalties to you so you can keep an eye on people. Right. It's fascinating, man, when you start thinking about it. Oh, I know, exactly, with the motivations, who knew who, who, you know, and like you were saying, I, I agree that, you know, a lot of hands didn't know what the other was doing. You know, everybody was off during their own agenda, and then when it all happened, everything just fell apart, and it was a race to see who could disassociate themselves the fastest. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And who could uh, throw Oswald into the fire pit the fastest? 
Oh, my. We don't know him. Don't know who he is. No, no, which is obviously untrue. The FBI knew everything about him pretty much. And between them and the CIA, it was almost every detail you could possibly glean about Oswald. Yeah, I mean, they knew what he was doing from the minute he stepped back on the shore. Mm-hmm. And then and they had a... Yeah, they dropped... I haven't read a lot about it. I've seen a couple documents, but they had a functioning uh, Moscow station. So they could have even watched him. You know, they had stations in Russia. They could have watched him while he was in Russia as well. Yeah, I know sure that the KGB was, you know, they had tapped everything they possibly could. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they were. Just, you know, keep tabs on him, make sure he's doing all right, or have a contact over there or something, you know. Mm-hmm. So, so we've done Dulles, King, Hoover, and Harvey. And the last person on my list is, I don't necessarily think that he has a direct hand in what happened, but I think that he's a a feasible mold for a suspect, you know, somebody who had another axe to grind, and that's Rolando Cubella, and he was uh, known as Amlash One, and he was one of the people that Sheffield Edwards and Harvey and others have been in contact with to try to assassinate Castro. And I believe it was a month before he requested a high-powered rifle with a scope <laughs> from Sheffield Edwards to use in an operation. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's not suspect at all. Yeah, you know, it's... Uh, yeah, the similarities do back. <laughs> and I'll tell Perhaps you... closer inspection. Yeah, and I'll tell you a little interesting fact. Well, factoid, to use uh, John McAdams' term, but... Because <laughs> nice. I can't prove it, but... Um, interesting, in Thomas Beckham's book remnants of truth he relates actually a meeting in Florida where Rolando Cubella uh, lands his lands a plane gets off the plane and hands a briefcase to Fred Christman containing hundreds of thousands of dollars and this is approximately uh, a month or two before the assassination. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so there's that. Yeah, that outside, yeah, that's, you know, it wouldn't be the first time he'd been paid for a possible assassination mission. You know, I'm not saying, I don't, you know, we can't prove it, but it's not outside the realm of possibility. That's what Cubella was doing. You know, he was offering his services to anyone that he thought would help him take out Castro. Right. Yeah, but they could have played his ass and said that that's what they were using the money for, but actually used it to fund something else. Because Rolando Cubella, uh, I think when he left Cuba, he took a shit ton of money with him, like millions. So, well, yeah, he was a, he was a former official, I believe, uh, under Batista. So they, a lot of them had gotten bribes and all sorts of, you know, they were running all sorts of illegal operations. And Cubella later on... Uh, one of the documents I sent you, Cubella talks about how he's dissatisfied, that he didn't think he was getting enough support from the U.S. government. And they actually, Sheffield Edwards said originally they wouldn't give him the rifle, but later on they did. Right, and now this is the guy that was to take uh, Castro's place once he was assassinated, right? He was, yeah, he was definitely one of the contenders for it. I know that other leaders of other groups, like I'm sure Verona, who was in charge of the FRD, and some of the other people, they wanted to be in charge. But Cubella was a former, he at least, I believe, was a senator. 
so he had he had former status as a politician, so he theoretically could have been leader in the new government. Right, and I'm sure people wanted to, would have wanted to bribe him and, and pay him money mm-hmm. for the, you know their personal interests. So it's not out of the realm of possibility that this guy had access to a, a lot of money. And that it would have been in in his interest to have Castro deposed. Um, And maybe, just maybe, these guys grabbed the money and uh, used it to fund something else. (laughs) At least according to Thomas Beckham, you know. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, it's... There's a lot of reasonable, uh, you know, despite what some authors and video makers might contend... (laughs) There is a lot of evidence and honesty in reasonable conspiracy. You know, there, conspiracy is not kind of like, you know, what the opposition said. There are reasonable people, I think, on both sides of this argument. You know, people who support the commission and people who support a conspiracy. And unfortunately, it's the fringe members of both sides that usually cause a lot of the problems and keep it to where it's more politics in a lot of cases than it is us just really sitting down and honestly discussing the evidence. Right, and I mean, a lot of what they try to say is, well, you know, nobody could keep a secret, you know, nobody could keep a secret that long, or, or somebody would have talked, and, you know, well, look, people are out there that admit to being involved in this. Now, whether it's credible or not credible is, is another question, but, um, you know, there is some possibility of credible involvement, you know, like with people that we can prove were actually there at the time, you know, like Thomas Beckham and, and, you know, these other guys. Yeah, and in the last few months, anybody can go on uh, Google and check it out, Warren G. Harding was revealed to have had an illegitimate child. So, yeah, people can keep secrets. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, FDR... For hundreds of years sometimes. Yeah, FDR was uh, on cocaine the whole time he was president. So, but you know, back then it was like some kind of a medical thing, you know, with his nasal somethings. But you know, <laughs> you know, just weird stuff. You know, just people can keep secrets, um, especially when properly motivated to do so. You know, exactly. Whether or it be when by they feel that yeah. they have to when they, they have some sort of loyalty or dedication. You know, or they were involved and could be held responsible for something. Or well, threatened. That too, yes. <laughs> yeah, or threatened or uh, paid off. Yeah, people can keep secrets, you know. And I'm sure they still do. You know, that's I, I think that's another just, you know, a, a little trope that they like to throw out and say that it's, you know, well, you know, people can't keep the Yes, they can. You know, clearly, how could our government function if people couldn't keep secrets? Yeah, I mean... Be uh, surprised the hell out of Hiroshima. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, man, the Manhattan Project. I mean, yeah, there's plenty. You know, eventually it got compromised, but yeah, for at least for a while. It, you know, it's also the size of the secret. Yes, this would be a big secret, but if it's only known to a handful of people, it doesn't matter how big the secret is, as long as they keep their mouth shut or they die off. Yeah, I mean, Area 51 was kept secret for. A long time before it was actually, you know, outed. Uh, you know, at least twenty or thirty years, nobody knew what, you know, about it. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's just the latest, you know, the latest canard that they want to use, and we, that's hopefully what we can get past. And you know, that's one of the things that earlier when I was talking about uh, you and me and uh, 
Charles and Shirley and all of our, everyone that's involved, Zach and Trish and Charles and Matt and everyone that's involved in the Neapolis Media Group. We, we want to get the case past this so that maybe one day it can actually be done. You know, that this isn't an eternal <laughs> question. That enough evidence can be gathered to finally at least give us an ability to say this is probably what happened based on the evidence. Right, and hopefully we get a little bit more here in uh, the next two years. Um, I'm, not so, I'm not so optimistic. <laughs> I'm not either, but some people are pretty stoked about it, but we'll see. Um, you know. I just, you know, my whole thing is that if they've kept it hidden this long, chances are, first of all, smoking gun documents are not going to be released. They're not going to just hand us the key to the case. Now, we might get lucky. And there might be some things mixed in, like with some of the, the uh, 1990s releases that still have some good information in there because there was just so much of it. Yeah. But if we're just looking at a few thousand documents, I really don't think they're going to hand us the key to the case. And I don't think that they're ever going to let go of security concerns if there's any way they can stop the FOIA request from happening. Right. And they've had, what, 20-some years, 25 years to... to thoroughly go through all this stuff and, and make sure that it either it sees the light of day or it, this is never going to see the light of day. So I agree, but maybe we'll get a little something, some more pieces to the puzzle that we can piece together with what we already do know uh, and maybe figure some things out. And there's millions of documents out there. Nobody's read them all, as I like to say. Right. You know, as, as many as I and other people you know, have been doing this you know, twice as long, ten times as long as I or you have. Nobody's read them all, so it's worth looking still. But, you know, looking in the right places and then comparing it with other things, not just accepting what you find, because chances are, you know, there, there needs to be some context. You can't just take it verbatim from either side, really. Right, and we're not going to get any more help from the government, I don't think. It just it just doesn't, it just doesn't work the way it used to when... Uh, when these congressmen and senators actually gave a shit about what was going on and uh, and really looked into things, uh, you know, they just don't do that anymore. And you know, we've had what three uh, official inquiries into the into the assassination, and I think that's all we're ever going to get, um, barring some kind of a you know smoking gun or admission or a document or or something that this surfaces. But we always keep our fingers crossed, brother, and hope. I send out the petitions, you know, I still sign them and support other people who are more optimistic about it. It's just, you know, when you file for a FOIA request or stuff, you know, it's, <laughs> it doesn't improve your hope. <laughs> no, no. All right, do we get to everything, Carmine, or? Yeah, I think we covered, we covered Cubella, J.C. King, Alan Dulles, William Harvey, and Hoover. Uh, we talked about CR rifle, uh, the Castro plots, the security flash being canceled. So, yeah, I think we covered everything. The assassination guide and the list of the Castro plots. Cool deal. And and stay tuned, people, because hopefully I'm going to be expanding a little bit more of Miltier on an episode in the future and his ties to the extreme right wing and maybe possibly how he could have known about this. If you send me a message... Uh, before you do that, I actually have, I believe, one of the copies of the unedited version of Miltier's interview. Okay, yeah. I'll probably... With Somerset, I'll send that to you. Yeah, I'd like to play that a little bit on there. 
So stay tuned for that. And Carmine, buddy, I appreciate you coming on and talking about this with me. Oh, it's always a pleasure to come on. You know, I'm always happy to talk to you, and I'll see you soon, I hope. <laughs> oh, yeah. In the meantime, they can find you at tpac.com. That's two princes and a king, T-P-A-A-K.com. Uh, soon to be Neapolis Media Group. Um, we'll roll that out probably towards the end of September. So stay tuned for that. And uh, everybody check out Chuck Ocelli over on American Freedom Radio. And a lot of these links that I'm talking about here, you can find over on my website, tlgpodcast.com. They're right on the right-hand side there. There's a, a lot of buttons for links to a lot of my friends that I think are doing good work and you should check out. And uh, let's see, what else we got? Oh, you can donate over there if you like to the show. Everything goes right back into the show. I would greatly appreciate it. And uh, that's it. This some bitches in the can. Beam up the satellite down directly to your ears, people. This is your boy. Peace. Oye, yes, Pito.
Because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. You do it right to save because you work too hard for your money not to. Lowe's is here to help with special Labor Day savings throughout the store. When you buy a DeWalt two-tool combo kit featuring a drill and impact driver, you get a DeWalt bear tool for free. Choose from a reciprocating or circular saw, angle grinder, or 20-volt battery. And update your appliances and get up to 40% off select appliance special values. This Labor Day, do it right for less. Start with Lowe's. Tool offer valid through 828. Appliance offer valid through 911 U.S. only. <laughs> 